You know, being a parent today is not an easy task. Uh, no one puts more value on parenting than God does. And today I want us to, to look at this idea of today, we, we, again, we are so grateful you're here to share Mother's Day with us. Did you know that Mother's Day sprang from the heart of a Christian lady? Not too far from here in a small Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia, it was 1876. The nation was still mourning the Civil War, dead. And while teaching a Memorial Day lesson, Mrs. Anna Reeves Jarvis thought of mothers who had lost their sons. And so she prayed that one day there could be a Memorial Day for mothers. The prayer um, made a deep impression on one of her 11 children. Her name was Anna, young Anna, named after her mother. They had seen her mother's efforts to hold this war-split community and church together. And as she grew into an adulthood, the younger woman kept Mrs. Jarvis's dream in her heart. On a day of her mother's death, Anna was determined to establish Mother's Day in her honor. And so on May 12, 1907, a local observance was held and it later spread to Philadelphia. And by 1910, Mother's Day was celebrated in 45 states, in Puerto Rico, Hawaii, Canada, and Mexico. And on May the 8th, 1914, President Wilson designated the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day for displaying the American flag and for the public expression of love and reverence for the mothers of our country. You know, the first institution that God created was the home. And the devil's first attack on the human race began with a future mom. And a matter of fact, Eve's name meant the, the mother of all living. And she was the first target. The thought process is if you destroy the parents, if you destroy the family, you destroy the human race. Destroy the home, and you cripple the society. But today I want to talk about a mom and the power of a godly mom that can destroy the enemy. Hallelujah. The Bible teaches that one of the greatest things for a move of God in our society is a godly parent. One of the mightiest nations of history crumbled because of one woman's resolve and obedience to follow after God. Her name was Jochebed. Go to Exodus chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. It says this, Then a new came to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread 
So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were uh, Shephara and Pura, if that's not correct, you can ask them, God, someday. When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked him, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Father, today I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, as, as we look at it this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just move in our hearts. God, we want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us this morning. So God, get me out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice some things or some parallels here that are taking place that I think you'll be very evident and see. Um, the story starts out like this. There was a Pharaoh that came to power over a period of time that Joseph meant nothing to. He didn't know Joseph. He didn't know anything about Joseph. To kind of rehash that just a little bit, Joseph was a, a Hebrew. He was a, an Israelite. His brothers, not only did he have a cool name, but his brothers didn't like him. And they threw him into, uh, they sold him into slavery. He, long story short, he ends up in Pharaoh's court. He is second in command because of God had placed him there. Um, and so Joseph was a man of influence throughout Egypt during his time that he was in Egypt. But a period of time has now lapsed and the people who are in Egypt and the Pharaoh's family who is in Egypt doesn't remember Joseph. Joseph doesn't mean anything to him. And they have changed. They're a long way from, from that point of their history. And their nation, the nation of Egypt at this time in history, is now becoming more secular and it's becoming more mystical. The new environment had little memory of the God of Joseph. And uh, now they are moving toward... Um, a life of seeking after other gods. And, and if you know anything about Egyptian cult, culture, the pharaohs themselves were considered to be as gods. And so here we are. Here's a parallel for today. Our country was founded on a principle of Christian ethics and uh, a faith in God. And here we are today living in a day where seemingly the people who are in our country, especially those who are making decisions, are, have forgotten or ignored the past influences of a God that the same God of Israel is the same God we serve, and they've ignored that. We've become secular and mystical in our focus. We have gotten away from the faith of our fathers. And much like today, 
with us, with Christians. The secular part elements of Egypt didn't like the growing influence that the, these believers had in God. They were perceived as a threat in Egypt. And so the general population of Egyptians don't like the Israelites. And uh, there was a word that was used more than once in that they treated them ruthlessly. Ruthlessly. For them to say that once is pretty bold, but to make that proclamation twice, why do people repeat words? Because the emphasis and effect, right? And so if it was a ruthless situation, then chances are this was a pretty bad ordeal. Now, we, we um, working with bricks and mortar, I'm sure it was a whole lot worse. We went to Argentina on a mission trip not too long ago, 2010, something like that. And um, I learned some Argentine Spanish words. Cemento, agua. Because when you got cemento and you got agua, you've got cement. And one of my job was to be down below mixing the cement with some of the people that were there, some of the nationals that were there. And we would hoist that cement up to the people that knew what they were doing and laying the bricks. Because I had no brick experience, concrete experience. So that was my job. And by the end of that first day, I thought I'd been treated ruthlessly. But I can tell you right now, that was nothing compared to what these Israelites were facing from their taskmasters, from the slave people in Egypt. There's little doubt that they made life difficult for God's people. But something happens to the the people of God, and and I believe this is also a parallel to what happens in a church when things get difficult, when God's people are um, persecuted, when they are uh, held ruthlessly, whether that be in a physical sense or an emotional sense or, or even spiritual sense, whatever that happens, I believe there are some things that happen. Number one is, is this, within the body, it strengthens the need to be together. When persecution and tough times happen, when things are rough, when the devil is fighting you at every turn, when society says, you know what, why don't you just, these Christian people, we just need to push them out. It strengthens our need to be together. Another thing it does, it it makes their bonds tighter with each other. It makes their bonds tighter with each other. It should make our friendships tighter and stronger together. The thing is, the other thing it does too is it forces them to rely on God more. You ever been there? We got to rely on God more. It gives them a sense of mission and it makes them work harder to witness not only to other people but also to their children. These are the same things that are true of a successful church today. If you look throughout history, the success of a society, whenever they have persecuted the church, the church has always grown and been ignited. Think about the day of Pentecost, Jesus, in Jesus' day. They were persecuting the church. Even the Jewish people were wanting to get all these guys together and kill them and punish them. But what happened to the church? 
<laughs> I want to say it blew up, but that's not good, probably good terminology because it didn't like physically blew up, but spiritually, man, it just it caught fire and God moved and did awesome things in their spirit. And it grew. The Bible says that they were adding to their numbers daily because of the persecution. When persecution happens, it changes our focus. Sin was encouraged. You see here where Pharaoh asked these midwives to, um, actually, it was kind of the first thought process of, of an abortion thought process, that they were to kill all of the, the baby males at birth. Now it's no longer about living in an ungodly society. Now they are instructed and in being ordered to be ungodly in that society. I'm going to get up on a little soapbox here for just a second, okay? I believe this. I believe in, in days ahead in the United States of America. I'm not, this, don't take this as a, a prophecy. This is just my thought process and what I believe, okay? I believe the days are coming, church, when we're going to have to make a stand. And because you're going to make a stand to do what's right and do what the Bible says and do what God says, it could result in you going to prison. It could result in persecution. It could result in a lot of different things that I don't even know about yet. But there's coming a time when it's going to be time to be bold and to take a stand. I look up to these midwives. You know why? Because even though they were ordered and probably in that day and age could have experienced death because they disobeyed the Pharaoh's command. But they said, I'd rather fear God than fear man. Someday I'm going to stand before God, and I take that a whole lot more into, uh, into perspective than I do about standing in front of a man. Because God's got the ultimate say. And these midwives, what they did is, is they would in turn let the, the, the boys live. They would show up late for the birth. And then the, the reason that they gave Pharaoh was, hey, man, these Israelite women, they're not like our Egyptian women. They're vigorous. And they, they have babies before we can even get them there, get in there. And so then Pharaoh says, well, if that didn't work, let's throw them in the Nile. We're going to get to that here in just a minute. I think it's important for us to understand that as people of God, we have a priority to invest. We're talking about Mother's Day today. We have priority to invest in the generations that are underneath us. I was uh, on an airplane. I forget where I was even flying to now. But they have those little magazines in front of the airplane, and they want you to buy stuff, and all that stuff is just ungodly expensive. But I like looking through it because they've got this one section of it that has these like pictures with sayings on them and quotes. And uh, I, I looked through that, and I don't know, the author was unknown, so I decided, you know what, I can steal that. And so what I did is when I got home, I made this, and I keep this in my office. I put it right underneath my, I know you can't read it. I don't expect you to. Um, I'm going to tell you what it says here in a minute. I put this right underneath all of my credentials, all the things, because this is an important part of, of who I am in my life. And what this says is this. It's got a picture of my son and my daughter in it. 
And the title of this is just Priorities. I just felt led to share this with you today. A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove. But the world may be a different because I was important in the life of a child. Priority. It's, it's a challenging thought, mom, dad, grandma and grandpa, when other things become priority over the investment that we're making in our kids. Mm. I challenge you with this thought. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't. Because by the time your kids graduate high school, if you've got little ones like the size we dedicated today, that car's going to be gone by the time they get there. Doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. I've lived in all kinds of different houses from a storefront to a little bitty place where we had to turn out all the lights to get my son to go to bed because the house was so small. To the place I live in now, to just, God's blessed us to an awesome uh, every place, but you know the, the size of the house doesn't matter. It's what makes it a home that's important. And what will make it a home and what will make it thrive and make it jump is the priority that you set that says, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. When you set that priority in play, I can tell you, church, there will be an anointing, just like we prayed over these couples and these families today, there will be an anointing on your life when you say, I am taking this initiative, I am making this priority, I will set up my home, we will serve God. Some of you are in homes where you are the only Christian in that home, but it's not too late to start that thought process. As to the best of my ability and what I can do and what I am allowed to do, I will set my children on a path. I will set my family. I will do everything I can to set my family on a path that goes after God because I think it's priority. Enter Jochebed. Jochebed is found in chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Now a man from the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that it was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. She was crying and felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to the Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. 
His name, she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Find out in other passages of Scripture, this woman, this mother, her name was Jochebed. And she knew that it was important to obey God. She also went away to obey this Egyptian law, but save her son. See, by the law, they had to take the son and throw him into the Nile River. And so she obeys, but she makes a basket for him to save his life and places her daughter, his sister, next by. Technically, she obeyed the law, and she put Moses in the river. She just did it by honoring God and preserving his life. She believed that somehow, way, God would save her son if she did all that she could do to be a godly mother. There's a good lesson for us. For us to expect supernatural intervention for God when you've done all that you can do. When you've done everything you know to do, God will meet you there. Jochebed was not afraid of Pharaoh. She was a godly woman. And sure enough, God had a plan to rescue her son from Egypt. And, and here's what God's plan was. <laughs> How do you know God comes up with crazy plans? Right? Here's what God's plan was. I'm going to rescue this Hebrew child's son by giving this child to the Pharaoh's daughter. How crazy is that? I'm going to rescue this kid because I've got a plan for his life, but I'm going to do that by giving him to the Pharaoh's daughter so that every day the Pharaoh can see this Hebrew boy right underneath his nose. Oh, y'all aren't getting this like I'm thinking it. That every day this daughter would be right there. And so then Miriam, who's, it's like she's hiding in the bushes. She sees them, find the child, and all of a sudden she comes out and says, Hey, can we find somebody, to, a Hebrew, to, to nurse him? Well, sure. That sounds like a great idea. Why don't you do that? And, and here, this too, I'll pay her. Look at God. Really? Not only will you get to nurse this child and this child will live, but I'll even pay for it. God even got the devil to pay for it. How awesome is that? Well, not saying that Pharaoh's the devil. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. Follow me here. And so Jochebed raises Moses. The best that, that scholars think is he raised him for the first five years of his life. In those five years, there are social scientist people that say that that is the most, that's the most intriguing part of a child's personality development is in that first five years. And so I can imagine during this five years' time, she's reading stories about what God has done through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. She must have repeatedly told him that you're not an Egyptian. You belong to God's people. You're a child of Jehovah. She probably, she must have prayed with him. She probably told him about God and his power. She no doubt told him about God's promise for a better land for all of Israel. 
She instilled in Moses a faith that was so strong that although he was raised in an Egyptian school by the Egyptian Pharaoh, the rest of his childhood after that, he chose to live for God. He chose, here you go, to not walk like an Egyptian. But to walk like a man of God. Moses learned what was real important in his life, and he learned it from his mom. He didn't learn it from Pharaoh's daughter or the Egyptian education system. The legacy of Moses' life and ministry is the direct correlation between his mother's faith and her life in God. Here's a thought process. Jochebed was the one who defeated Egypt long before Moses ever went back to Pharaoh. Because she had the faith that said, this boy is going to be something for the king. I've got to persevere. God could use this child to do something great into the kingdom of God. A godly mom can help defeat a secular mystical society that we're living in. A godly mom can overcome the strongest of influences. Can I ask you, did Moses make mistakes? Absolutely, Moses made mistakes. But he always found his foundation in the life that his mom had instilled in him to go after the God of Jehovah. The defeat of Egypt began when godly moms like midwives and Jochebed, long before Moses' ministry became public, began to say, as for me and my house, we're going to do what's right. We're going to serve God. It only takes one godly mom to raise one godly kid to make a difference in a society that we live in. I'm going to say that again because this is living proof in Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. It only takes one godly mom to raise one godly kid to make an impact and an influence in the society that we live in. So I encourage you with this, moms. Keep praying. Keep striving and persevering in your witness for God. Keep speaking over your kids. Keep speaking faith over your, your, your family and keep your hope alive. The devil would like nothing more for you than to crush your hope. That Man, all you're doing, this is all for in vain. This is all, it, this means nothing. Keep your hope alive. Because just like Moses... Your kids, sometimes, they're not going to do everything the way you think they ought to. But can I tell you this? If you will be faithful, and you'll keep speaking into them, and you'll keep praying for them, and you'll keep loving them, and you'll keep showing them what it means to serve God, what will happen is one day God will intervene. And he'll do supernatural things in the middle of your circumstance. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, today, I'm thankful. I'm thankful, God, today for examples in Scripture like Jochebed who took down a whole nation of Egypt because of her obedience and her faithfulness. 
that a godly mom can be stronger than an ungodly society, that a godly parent can train their child up in the way they should go, that a godly parent can show them Jesus, that a godly parent can make an impact on a child's life, and that child can impact an entire country, an entire society. They can do things, God, that, that uh, we would never even dream possible, but when we hold on to you, supernatural things happen. So God, today I thank you for that. And even though Moses was raised as the son of Pharaoh, his influence came from his godly mother. And so Moses identifies himself with you, Lord, and not Egypt. Father, today I pray that as we intercede over these moms, that there are some of them that are struggling today because some of them came into this building this morning thinking that they'd failed. But God, tell them, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just encourage their heart today to say, as, as long as I don't give up hope, as long as I keep praying, as long as I keep speaking love, as long as I keep doing the things God's asked me to do, I'm not a failure. I am doing what God wants, and I'm leaving the results up to Him. And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, there are those who are in this room today who are uh, not only moms, but their parents, who their kids are not serving God, but God, they've instilled things in them. I thank you, Lord, that you your word is true. God, help us to keep hope alive. Thank you, Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed this morning, maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor? Um, I've not accepted Christ into my life. There's a, such an empowerful thing that happens when you come to Jesus and you experience uh, want a relationship with him. We're not into religion around here. We don't do things just for the sake of doing them. The idea is that we want you to have a relationship with God. Because when you have a relationship with God, you'll find that nothing else will satisfy. And so this morning, if you're here and you say, you know, Pastor, I, I don't have that relationship with God. We just want to pray with you this morning. Our goal is not to embarrass you. We just want to pray with you today. And you say, Pastor, that's me. Would you slip up your hand this morning? Let me see. I'll pray with you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please, across this room? This morning, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask everyone to, to pray this with me. If you raise your hand this morning... I encourage you to just pray this just like you're praying it to the Lord. Just repeat with me. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just a confessional prayer. And then to have you start that walk with Jesus every day. If you raise your hand and you meant business with the Lord today, here's what I want you to do. We're going to do some things. We're going to pray over the moms and stuff. After that time is over, I want you to come and see me this morning. When we dismiss and we say amen, I want you to come and I want you to see me. I'm going to wait right here at the front. And I just want you to come and see me this morning, okay? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today wanting relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross, for loving me that much that you gave me everything. You gave me your life. Forgive me of my sins. And today I want to begin to give my life back to you. 
I thank you, Lord, today for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Can we just congratulate those who made a decision to follow Jesus today? Amen.